Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. This ain't your abuelita's financial advice. I'm your host, Janice Torres Rodriguez, and I'm here to help you tackle grown woman business when it comes to all things dinero. We're going to talk about how to make it, keep it, and grow it. On that note, vamos. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Yo Quiero Dinero, the podcast. This is your host, Janice, and it's uh, this episode's kind of a big deal. So for the first time ever, we are going to be hosting a gentleman on the show. Say what? I know. Can you believe it? So we are going to be talking to Carlos Hernandez, founder and CEO of Crediverso, the nation's first personal finance information website, catering specifically to the U.S. Latino community. Carlos grew up in a Mexican-American family in L.A., He's an accredited attorney in California. He holds three degrees from Harvard. And he gave up a career on Wall Street to found Crediverso. Carlos is committed to helping the Latino community get more access to information about personal finances. And in this conversation, we talk about, you know, what made him walk away from a lucrative career on Wall Street, the lack of financial mentors in the Latino community, and some thoughts about why this might be the case what it's like to deal with imposter syndrome, because we all know going to Harvard is like hella white, you know? It's hella white, hella pale, hella male, as the great Berna would say. And we're also going to be doing a dive into my wallet. So we're going to talk about credit cards that I personally have to see what's working and what's not. And Carlos is going to be sharing lots of useful tips for managing your credit. If you love this episode, 
please make sure to subscribe so that you can get all of the amazing episodes that we're putting out. And of course, share and share some more. Now let's get into this conversation with Carlos. All right, Carlos, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Well, listen, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I was just telling you before we hopped on the call that uh, a friend of mine described yours as the swaggiest podcast. <laughs> I think I it's a real honor it for me to be here. <laughs> <laughs> that is so awesome. So um, for the, all the listeners, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but if you've listened to all of my episodes, you will know that this is the first time that we're hosting a gentleman on the show. So it's kind of a big deal. And I am so honored to be talking to somebody who is making such waves in the space of personal finance when it comes to Latinos. So can you just go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Absolutely. My name is Carlos Hernandez. Uh, I live in Los Angeles and recently founded a company called Crediverso, which is designed to be a personal finance platform and marketplace for financial products that is dedicated for U.S. Latinos. And the reason behind that was that, well, you know, there are a lot of reasons and we're going to get into that, I'm sure, today. But uh, I looked around and of all the large financial institutions, the credit card providers, the lenders, the places where you can get a mortgage, none of them are number one available in Spanish. Uh, they are not designed in a way that is appealing or engaging to the typical Hispanic consumer, especially from a content perspective, the way this stuff is written. I mean, I, I can't understand it. Most people I know can't understand this stuff. And then I think very importantly, they don't advertise to Hispanic neighborhoods. So. There was just a real need there to create more access to financial products and information for this community that is one of the hardest working communities around and fastest growing. So it's, Ooh, uh, you know, it, it's been a really it. exciting process for us. For sure. Oh, my gosh. So I just I'm obsessed with the the whole concept of your company. And I think it is, like you said, so needed because half of the battle is getting people to just understand the language around personal finance. Like it's so, it's almost like its own language. Like I feel like you should be able to go on Duolingo and literally learn personal finance as a language because it freaks people out. They don't know what the hell you're talking about. And then they're just like, you know what? I can't deal with this. It's too much. And that, that gets us nowhere. Right. Absolutely. And, and you know, we, we learn PE and arts and crafts in school, but there's no uh, personal finance or, financial education class that we ever take. And so you get to these concepts like 401ks and APRs and balance transfers and how to get a loan. And listen, this stuff is complicated in English. And now if mm -hmm. I just got here from another country and you know maybe I'm still working on my English and I still speak mostly Spanish, how on earth are you supposed to figure this out? And the, the existing options out there, I mean, yeah, you can find a Google translator and dictionary maybe, but that's not going to explain it to you most of the time in terms that you understand. So one of the things that we're trying to offer is just very easy to understand English and Spanish explanations of what all this stuff is, why you need it, why it's important to you. And hopefully that's, that's been a big help to some people. Yeah, that that's such a big deal. And I find that I hear that a lot from people that listen to the podcast and they say, you know, I've heard these messages before, but when you hear from somebody that shares your same cultural understanding and just, has that nuance and is able to approach you in a way that's relatable, you get the message in a way that just reading some book or like listening to Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman. Yeah. Those guys know what they're talking about, but at the same time, it's like their life experiences are completely different than mine. Okay. So I want to talk about you because you actually grew up in a Mexican American household in LA. You kind of like are this 
rags to riches story, right? You go to Harvard, you get all these degrees, but then you want to come back to your community and actually like make a difference. So can you talk about like what your relationship was like with money growing up and how you, you first became interested, interested in personal finance and what kind of inspired you to make that pivot? Absolutely. Well, you know, the, the funny thing is, uh, I didn't come directly at this from the personal finance angle. That, that wasn't really where it started. It, it, that's where it's, that's where it's gone. It's where it's ended. But really where it started is that from a very early age, I think, uh, I was, I always wanted to find a way to get back involved with the Latino community and, you know, starting in Los Angeles, but uh, Southern California, just because that's where I grew up. But, uh, in, in any way I could really, and I had a wonderful set of role models of my parents, uh, my, Dad, for a long portion of his career, worked in the Latino community with a company called Telemundo, which you think you mm. uh, probably watch. Uh, the, mm -hmm. um, the the second source of inspiration there was my mother, who same thing. She's been really involved with the Latino community for a long time. She works with the uh, National uh, Smithsonian Council for Latinos. So it's um, it's always been kind of hardwired in me to somehow find a way to get back involved with the community and. Personal finance is kind of just where that ended up being where we figured out the, the biggest impact would be because there was a huge opportunity there as you and I have started to discuss. And, you know, had it been had it been healthcare, had it been building houses, had it been something else, that's probably where I would have landed. But I think the biggest opportunity just really was personal finance. And so I didn't come at this being a personal finance expert. I had a background in finance just in the jobs I've had and these, uh, you know, programs I've studied in. But um, that certainly wasn't where it started. And it's kind of fun now that I get to dive into that a little bit deeper. Yeah. So I actually want to get to know you more from like the aspect of what motivated you initially to go to law school, how'd you end up at Harvard, what that whole experience was like, because I know a lot of us can relate, especially those that have um, achieved, you know, higher education degrees, like the world of higher ed is very white. It's, um, it's very easy place to find um, yourself feeling isolated. And so I want to know like what your experience was like in that aspect. Oh, Janice, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that <laughs> has been, it was such a funny experience. And maybe funny is the right word, but it, I'll, I'll tell you about it. So like sure. I said, I grew up in a Mexican American family in Los Angeles and we grew up in a suburb that was pretty quiet, uh, but very Caucasian. You know, my dad was a uh, the son of a cop grew up in East LA. My mom grew up in Mexico and she didn't come to the States until she was 18. Um, but you know, they were both, uh, very hard workers and were successful in business. And so we ended up when I was born and when I was growing up, we lived in this neighborhood that was predominantly white and they sent us to a, you know, I think looking back, probably a, a fancy private school. And we were the only Mexican family in that school. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and so, you know, I would, I would bring, uh, in my lunches, I would have all this Mexican candy in, in my lunch. And I don't know if you've ever had Mexican candy, but if it, it is very much an acquired taste. And yes. <laughs> so my friends would all look at it and think, what is that disgusting stuff you're eating with tamarindo and, you know, exactly the chili and the mango lollipop. And, uh, and, and I never, you know, I didn't know anything different. So I was just, Oh, this is great. You know, try some. And they all loved it. And they eventually got into it. Uh, yeah. but we were absolutely the only, uh, Spanish speaking family there. And the, uh, so, you know, when I, got to, I think, eighth grade, uh, my parents said, it's time to experience a little bit more and get out of this this uh, little suburb bubble a little bit. So we went to a high school that was in downtown LA. And uh, it was uh, a, a very big change for me because 
all of a sudden I wasn't the only Spanish speaking kid around. I wasn't, the, we weren't the only Mexican family. Uh, it was all different colors and languages and ethnic backgrounds and financial backgrounds. And it was a, uh, it was a really good experience though, I think, because you realize that, uh, in many places in life, I think there are, um, there are not level playing fields. Uh, mm. and, but there, it, it, in other places there can be, and it, it depends on how hard you're willing to work. And so one of the examples that, that I think I, I realize is that, Hey, you have this school where the student body has, uh, a big portion of the student body comes from these wealthy beach neighborhoods, a big portion of the student body comes from the right next to the high school. And, you know, their parents are the janitors at the school. Uh, and, and that's true. That would happen quite a bit. Uh, and I ran track when I was in high school, I ran in college as well. And our track team had that same representation. And you know what? It did not matter if you were a kid who had the fanciest running shoes or could afford a private coach or a private nutritionist or whatever, or if you were the kid who was running to and from school just because your parents couldn't drive you there. The clock didn't lie. You were competing against the same in the same race against the same people. And that was where there was a level playing field. And all that mattered was how hard you were willing to work. So that was a great learning that I had from that, uh, from going to school there. So then, you know, the, uh, the question came, all right, where are you going to go to college? And, uh, I thought I had such a good experience going from the suburbs to something that was a little out farther away from the suburbs in downtown. Why don't I try to get as far away as possible from California? And I went <laughs> all the way to the Northeast. Yeah. Yeah. This was, I, I went from, you know, we're speaking Spanish every day at lunch. I'm surrounded by people that look like me, talk like me, dress like me to all of a sudden we're in a land of boat shoes and pastels and khakis. And I am all of a sudden very much out of place again. Uh-huh. And it's a process, you know, it, it, you, you end up having to figure it out. Um, but kind of the same thing applied where really at the end of the day, all that mattered was how hard you were willing to work because it didn't matter. Same thing. If the, you know, you have some guy coming from New York city from a super wealthy family He's sitting next to somebody who's on a full scholarship, uh, you know, from the middle of Texas, maybe. And they're taking the same test at the end of the semester and they're applying for the same job. So that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious, as someone who has achieved so much, have you ever dealt with imposter syndrome? I know there's a lot of people, especially in our culture, that identify with that because we achieve a lot. And then it's like there's a lot of us that don't do the same around us. So then it's like, wait, are you know, am I even qualified to be here? Like, why am I getting this job? There's people that battle with like wealth guilt. Have you dealt with either of those? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I think the, you know, I, I've struggled a lot with uh, how to answer those questions personally and professionally. And um, really where it started to be very visible for me is, uh, you know, we'll talk about, uh, hopefully the job decisions I made and, you know, what, how I got there. But the, at a certain point in my life, um, I was, I found myself working on wall street and I worked in investment banking, corporate finance. And, uh, I, I just, I started looking around and I realized that nobody in the office with me, at least in my immediate setting, uh, looked like me or had a last name that sounded like mine. Uh, and I said, okay, well, you know, this, it's, uh, my immediate group that I'm working with, that's only, you know, 15, 20 people. Maybe that's just a fluke. No, I started walking around the building. I started looking at the senior management and I found that pretty much every organization that I worked with, whether it was 
in law and finance uh, on Wall Street. Uh, I mean, I haven't worked in London for a while. And everywhere I looked, I would look up in the organization to the C-suite and I wouldn't find people that, you know, were representative of the communities that I that I was familiar with and came from. And I, I started to realize that, hey, if uh, if we don't have a seat at the table, how can we expect our interests to be looked after? And that's kind of what led me to the path that I'm on now, because I figured, OK, hey, I could either aim to get myself at that table and I can you know, stay in this uh, in this corporate finance position and try to work as hard as I can and get to that C-suite spot. Uh, and then, you know, maybe when I'm there, I can start, I can change the hiring procedures a little bit. I can change the communities that we're involved with, but you can only do so much from that position. And I thought that ideally I could hopefully do some more creating a platform that gave a lot of other people the opportunity to empower themselves and get access to the information so that all of a sudden, you know, maybe five years, 10 years from now, that table looks very, very different. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so let's dive into your career path. So what degrees did you actually end up obtaining for yourself? Okay, so uh, I went to college uh, at Harvard, graduated a few years ago, and my first degree was a BA in Latin American Studies. And that was great because it let me take a wide range of subjects from economics to politics to, uh, I even took a couple anthropology classes. And, and as long as everything was related to Latin America, which is what I was interested in, I just knew, you know, I knew I wanted to work in that community, then it was, it was okay with the degree program. So I got a BA in that uh, and worked my butt off and uh, ended up getting a scholarship for getting grades in the top 10% of my class. Uh, so that was, I was very happy with that. It was a great program and I really enjoyed the people that I got to meet and work with. Um, after that, I, uh, spent two years, I knew I wanted to go to law school. So I applied to law school while I was in college. Um, but I deferred, I wanted to go try something else and get out of school for a little bit. And so I spent two years working for a hotel company that, uh, I hope you're familiar with because then I think we can probably get into some fun stories. I worked for MGM Resorts that's based in Las Vegas. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, my office was in the MGM Grand. I lived on the Las Vegas Strip. Uh, and wow. as fun as it sounds, uh, I actually was traveling pretty much the entire time I was there. So I was probably in a plane three to four weeks a month. And the oh, reason wow. for that is that the job was uh, trying to uh, build out our presence in Latin America and the Caribbean. So we were going to, you know, Mexico City, Bogota, Cartagena, Rio de Janeiro, uh, the Bahamas. It sounds glamorous. It wasn't. We were just going to the conference rooms <laughs> off the plane. Yeah, business um, travel is not fun. <laughs> like, I don't know why people swear that you're just like sipping margaritas by the pool just because your company's sending you somewhere. <laughs> no, I think the one, one of the saddest things I realized is that I did that job for two years and I was probably in the Caribbean maybe once every two months or so. And so, you know, what is that? Uh, 12, 12 times I went there over the course of two years. I did not uh-huh. go in the ocean once. <gasps> Oh God, that's <laughs> devastating. I can't yeah. even. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a great experience. I learned a ton and uh, I got to work with a subject matter that was really exciting and with people that were fascinating across different cultures, different languages. So that was, it was really, really cool. And at the end of all that, I, you know, I, I had deferred law school. So I went back to law school and I ended up getting uh, a degree at the same time from Harvard Law School and Harvard Business School. Uh, and so that was a, it was a four-year program. Uh, and I'll tell you something. So I think only 400 people ever have done that program. But what's interesting is that there are only, as far as I know, two 
Hispanics who have ever gone through that program. Oh my God. And do you know who the other one is? No. It's my younger sister. Uh, oh my gosh. How cool is that? <laughs> yeah, so that's an MBA slash Juris Doctor program? Is that what Exactly. Is? Yeah. JD MBA. Okay. Um, but like that's, you know, it, it, that's all I think representative of the issue that we're trying to address here, which is that you know, it, it's a fantastic program and I'll never knock it because they, they really do a great job, you know, getting people back involved in the community. But the, because you have to apply to both schools separately and be admitted to both schools separately, it just unfortunately by, by the numbers seems to have been out of reach for many Latinos. And that's, I think, what, what I'm trying to hopefully change with getting more information out through, through our platform. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. So I want to talk more about your career path. So after you finished law school, then you end up on Wall Street? Yes. Yeah, so while I was uh, actually in grad school, I was working for a few different companies. Um, I started at a corporate law firm in New York City. Uh, and that I'll, I'll tell you, those people, they work really <laughs> long hours. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I heard. Really long hours. <laughs> Uh, and, and so that was great. Um, and from there, I went to uh, an investment bank, uh, Goldman Sachs. Um, and same thing, you know, worked very long hours. But the, the thing that you realize is that if, if you if you can learn so much uh, in a nine to five position, if you are there for another nine hours after that, hey, you, you know, funny enough, you learn twice as much. <laughs> yeah, that makes it less painful, I guess. <laughs> it is, yeah. So, so you do learn a lot, um, but it, it was a it was a really good experience. And uh, from there, I went to a private equity firm. Uh, I spent part of my time in the U.S., part of my time in London. Uh, but as I was, yeah, I told you the the experience I had at these places. They, we were just very far removed from the communities that I wanted to impact at the end of the day, uh, and I think that was probably largely due to not having a seat at the table at a senior management level. Uh, so as, when I finished there, I went back to California, took the bar uh, and started thinking about, okay, what are, what are some ways that we can start trying to make a change here? And that's what landed me in personal finance. Awesome. Okay, so let's get into your company, Crediverso. Talk about it. Like, how did that even manifest? So... I think these seeds had been rumbling around for about for a little bit. Um, I remember one of the earlier stories my mom told me about when she was getting into business as a young woman. Uh, she you know, was born in uh, Baja, California, and she moved to the States to go to college when she was 18. When she got there, uh, she you know, was speaking Spanish and there were no materials or resources available to tell her or any other Spanish speaking students about student loans. Okay. So she, uh, had to pay for the entire program herself and partway through college, she had to take time off from college to go make money so that she could keep paying for college. And to me, that is a, an experience that I think, I think everybody should be able to have access to a student loan. And uh, there should never be a language barrier that is preventing people from, from letting that happen. So anyway, she, she leaves school to go make some money. Uh, during that process, she says, okay, you know what? I think the way I can make the most money is by starting my own business. And she did. She started a small business. Uh, while she's doing that, again, same thing. There are no resources or publication or marketing that is making it front and center available to her that there are small business loans available. So, you know, eventually that, uh, I, I don't think that business worked out and uh, she was able to go back to school. She saved up enough money to go back to school. But 
that is a, a perfect example of how there is a mismatch in resources that are available to the typical uh, community versus the Latino community. Now, this, you know, I'm, I'm telling you the story of when my mom was in college. And the unfortunate thing is that things have not changed today. So in, in all that time, uh, I was talking to uh, my aunt, and this is one of my mom's sisters. Most of our family uh, lived in Mexico still for a long time until a few years ago, the cities that they were living in started to get a little more dangerous and so they just all started coming to the U.S. Um, part of that process, now that they're in the U.S. for the first time, as I'm sure many of your listeners and I think probably people that you've had on the podcast have experienced, mm -hmm. is, okay, how do I get a credit card? I don't have any credit. How do I get a loan? How do I get a house? Like, this, right. I just got here, right? And so, you know, luckily... Uh, my, my aunt had some, you know, some other researchers. For one thing, she called me and she said, hey, uh, there are all these credit card options out there. I don't know which ones to pick. Um, can you find some for me and just help walk me through it? And so I said, okay, well, you know, I know that there are companies out there like Credit Karma and LendingTree and NerdWallet. Um, they have a ton of information on credit cards. This is going to be really easy. And I went on there and I found information and they, they do a really good job servicing the general market. And there's a lot of good information. So I said, okay, let me send this to her. Can I send it in Spanish? No. And you can go through this exercise right now yourself. Go to LendingTree.com, go to the search bar, type in Spanish, zero results. And that is a company that made nearly a billion dollars last year in the personal finance space. And there is not one Spanish result on that entire website. So I said, hold on, how is it possible that there is no way to compare credit cards in this country in Spanish? And it really, there wasn't. And as I started looking into some of these other financial products, there's just, it's not available. And when you, you know, it's not just a language thing. I think it's a, it's a marketing thing. It's a mm -hmm. design thing. It's a content thing. And so I had to, what it's funny, what I thought would be a very quick conversation with my aunt and getting her credit card ended up being a lot more work than I think I had anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but the, the bright side was that it ended up in, uh, you know, a lot of learnings about the, uh, the opportunities in the space to really make an impact. And so that's what brought us to trying to create this financial product marketplace. And, you know, as, as it stands right now, we are the only place on the web in the U S where you can compare credit cards in Spanish, where you can learn about credit checks in Spanish, uh, where you can learn about loans in Spanish um, all of our articles are written with the Latino consumer in mind. We have educational resources like a step-by-step -step guide on how to get a free credit report, how to make sure you get your stimulus check. Uh, and the nice thing is um, all of our writers, are they're, they're legit. They've been featured in Forbes, Yahoo Finance, Fox Business, USA Today. So it's uh, it's been a fun process. I think uh, everything on our site is absolutely free, which is the, the really exciting part. Um, but yeah, that's, that's been the journey so far. So I, you know, what is it about just this space that makes people think that they don't have to address the Latino consumer? Because you can go on Nielsen and so many other places and see that like Latino consumers have more buying power than any other minority group in this country. They are the biggest minority population and continuing to grow, this country is going to be majority Hispanic within the next 50 years. So like, why are people not realizing, hey, these people matter, they have money, we should want their money, we should want to empower them to understand how to use their money, because 
that's where the economic growth of this country is going to come from. What, you know, like, what is happening? Janice, I, I call that the <laughs> so frustrating question. It is, it is so frustrating. And uh, there are, I've spent a lot of time thinking about why this is. And the, you know, you can look at the numbers, right? Like you said, we're 20% of the population, 60 million people. We're the fastest growing segment. What one stat I think I really like is that one in four babies being born right now today is, is Hispanic in this country. Wow. So, you know, you can, you can come up with your own reasons why that's happening, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> like big families. I mean, you know, there it is, there it is. <laughs> um, but the, the numbers just don't match up. I think the typical financial institution spends less than two and a half percent of their marketing budget marketing towards Hispanics. So I just said 20% of the population is Hispanics. That's a big gap between two and a half percent, 20%. Seriously. So the, the, the question as you uh, raised it is why? And I think uh, there are varying degrees of why this might be happening. Um, one is one possibility is it's simply not on their radar. And I can't believe that's the case. We're just too much of a presence in this country. So the next question is, okay, is it on their radar and they just don't care? And in many cases, unfortunately, that's, that's the case. Uh, anecdotally, we've, um, you know, just at conferences and stuff, uh, asked those questions to the C-suite of some of these companies. And really the unfortunate resounding answer we get is, you know, we are just, uh, we're very focused on the general market. We think we do a good job serving there and that's where we're going to stay focused. So that's possible answer number two, right? That they're aware and they don't care. Yeah. Now possible answer number three, and this is the interesting one, is that uh, we're on the radar, they do care and they have tried, but they have not pulled it off. And uh, that's, that's kind of where the fun starts to happen because you look at, um, what this process looks like. And uh, for, take, take, for example, um, the media landscape, okay? Why are there only two Spanish-speaking networks in this country? I mean, how many channels mm -hmm. can you think of that are in English, right? Hundreds, thousands. Right. There are two right. that speak Spanish. Why is that? And the answer that I come up with is that the typical um, media organization, financial institution, whatever it is, they say, okay, we recognize there's this problem here that we need to address. You know, we have to figure out how to, how to market towards these consumers. Um, how do we do it? Let's just take the infrastructure that we currently have and say, hey, translate it, apply it to this group. And so, you know, they'll get a team of people who are really good at their jobs uh, in media or in finance. And, you know, maybe they're based in the middle of Missouri. Who knows? Uh, they probably never spoke in Spanish or watched a telenovela <laughs> or had you know, any Mexican, real good Mexican food. And yeah. they're all of a sudden in charge of taking their product and applying it in a way that is appealing to a Hispanic consumer. And it just doesn't work. And, you know, the the most recent example, I think, of this failure, I don't know if you remember Mundo Fox, but that was mm -hmm. a television network that, uh, or a channel that they tried to launch, I think, in 2014. They applied the existing infrastructure that was on Fox. 2016, it's done. And, yeah. you, know, you know, muerto. So, well, yeah. I mean, knowing the history of Fox, um, I, I'm glad they failed because I, I don't want them creating any content for us. <laughs> That's well, another story, though. Exactly, yeah. Um, so the same thing's happening in finance. And uh, these the websites just, they're horribly under, uh, under addressing our population. So... That's that's really where I wanted to try to get involved. Yeah, I think it has so much to do with just our faces are not being seen because the people making those decisions are not us. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that as time goes on and we continue to infiltrate 
different industries and be, you know, in those C-suites and be the ones making those decisions that this landscape will change. We can only hope for that. That's my hope too. And, you know, it's especially relevant today. Uh, you, I'm sure, saw the unemployment numbers that came out yesterday, mm-hmm. but it's been a, it, it, listen, don't get me wrong, across the entire country, there's been a huge impact on the COVID situation, um, people having jobs. I think the unemployment rate rose to 16% for Blacks, 14.5% for Asians, 12% for Whites, or sorry, 14% for Whites. But do you know what it is for Latinos? 19%. So, you know, it's on any, any good day, we are generally, I think, two percentage points uh, higher in terms of unemployment than the general market. But right now it is even more of a severe impact. And you're down, you're down to Florida, right? So the, uh, a big part of the reason for this is that these, uh, the jobs in leisure and hospitality and tourism are disproportionately held by Hispanic and Latinos. And uh, the Florida right now is, if I'm remembering correctly, um, of all the states in the country that uh, derive a share of their GDP from tourism, I think you guys are third after Nevada and Hawaii. So a huge portion of your GDP comes from tourism and hospitality, obviously Disney World, things like that. So your probably percentage of unemployment there for Latinos is I'm guessing even higher than the national average. Oh, I would absolutely agree with that. And I'm going to look into those numbers because for sure, tourism is like one of the top three industries in this state. And Mm -hmm. I mean, just the penetration of Hispanic culture here is just on another level. So um, I think a lot of the disparities that you see across the country are even more magnified here because of the high concentration of the population. Right. And if we're not being uh, addressed in terms of how to get a personal loan, uh, what to do with your mortgage, how to get a credit card that is not predatory, then these problems become just even more magnified and more severe. Absolutely. And I, I love what you were talking about before with just people not even knowing what resources are out there and how to make that connection to actually obtain them, because we see the same issue with the small business uh, loans and the PPP program. Like though that money is not going towards brown and black businesses. And those are the ones that need the most help. Absolutely. We put out a, uh, an infographic recently on, uh, I, th- I thought was very helpful and it's uh, gotten a lot of traction. How will the stimulus bill affect me as a Latino? And one of the questions is whether you can get this if you're undocumented, uh, who's eligible for this? Do you need a social security number? Uh, and these are questions that, you know, the, I, I think, uh, they've done a better job of it in recent weeks, but initially a lot of the information, even just on COVID, uh, but certainly on the um, on the PPP and the stimulus bill uh, that was being released by the federal government, again, only available in English. So we started to put some of that information out on our site, Spanish. It's been hopefully helpful to a lot of people, uh, but say, again, same issue. Yeah. So speaking of COVID, I'm curious to know, like, what lessons have you learned about entrepreneurship and launching a startup during this entire madness? <laughs> I can only imagine. It is a, it is a funny question. Uh, <laughs> so I think uh, it, it's certainly been something we've been dealing with. And I think at a high level, it's actually been, you know, we, we are in the fortunate position of having a product and a service that in good times is designed to help people who are having difficulty with finances, right? So that product is only more relevant in an era where people are having even more difficulty with finances and are in more dire straits economically. So if we were relevant when the economy was good, 
hopefully the idea is that we are even more relevant when the economy is bad. So that's that's how I think about it at a high level. In terms of the nitty-gritty of operations and hiring and uh, advertising and all of that, the, you know, the, the day-to-day of running a company entrepreneurship, um, we have uh, in some ways benefited, in some ways been hurt. Uh, and so the um, on the uh, in, in turn, I'll start with the you know a difficult thing first, is which is that um, we've had to escalate our launch uh, plan to a lot sooner than uh, we were hoping because we just want to get this information out in a given how much people need it right now. Uh, so what that has meant in terms of bad news is that. I'm sleeping a lot less. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we all can agree with that. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. Yeah. <laughs> I no longer take weekends. <laughs> I no yeah. longer sleep as much as I, as I would probably like. Um, but it, the good news is that, you know, we've been very busy. Uh, I think um, we've also been in the fortunate position of being a place that can offer jobs right now. So I spent much of my last week... Um, interviewing, recruiting, and hiring interns uh, that found themselves um, all of a sudden without a job. Uh, And so I think we uh, are probably within the next week taking on seven new employees. uh, Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really exciting. And these are phenomenal people. I mean, we have been recruiting at some of the top business schools in the country and uh, all the way to um, just folks that uh, somebody knew in LA and, you know, they're part of the Hispanic community here. Um, so it's, uh, it's been good for us in that sense. We've been able to get some really qualified people, um, just, you know, 
because they have all of a sudden found themselves with that work. And so um, hopefully it's a win-win for everybody in that sense. Yeah, I think the service that you're providing is something that people need perennially. Whether you're okay with your money or you're trying to take things to the next level or you're just you know, stressed out and trying to figure out how to change your situation, I think the, the fact that you're providing access to information is so important. And I love what you're doing in the space of creating a business. I don't think a lot of people realize that Latinos are actually two times more likely to start a business than any other racial group in this country. Um, we are the en- we are the economic engine of the United States because, uh, according to a Forbes article that I read, uh, I read recently, businesses with majority Hispanic ownership are estimated to employ 2.7 million Americans and contribute over 700 million dollars to the economy. Yes, so I mean, I love that. You know, we are we're going to change the financial landscape of this country. So I would love if you could just share some advice for people who are thinking about entrepreneurship. Like, what should they be thinking about? Um, you know, any advice that you kind of have gained along the way through your own journey? Absolutely. So I think uh, I'll, I'll tell you a quote that my dad told me. Uh, I, th- I think it is a it is a dad original, um, but it has stuck <laughs> with me probably for the last fifteen years. Uh, and he says, do what is necessary to get the job done. Uh, and I think that is so powerful because honestly, there is never any substitute for hard work. If you're willing to put in hours and hours and hours at something, there, something's going to happen and you will achieve success. Uh, and, you know, that, that sounds like it can be a platitude, but as, uh, as I've been working on this thing and just continue to put hours and hours and hours in, we've come a long, long ways. Uh, so that's the first thing I'd say. Um, the second thing I'd say is, um, you know, try to identify a need. Uh, we have, it's a somewhat bittersweet sense, uh, found an area where there is a big, big need. I say bittersweet because, uh, the, uh, from a business model standpoint and a business case, um, there is a large opportunity for growth here and a large segment of the population that has been underserved, um, the flip side of that is that, yes, this population has been underserved for a long, long time, and that has not been good for them. It will be good for us in the sense of a, a company because we can grow very quickly and meet that demand and hopefully good for them because we can uh, begin to help that population a little bit. Uh, but it, it is very much not been a, uh, you know, we, we've identified a need that has existed for far, far too long. Uh, and so that's why I say bittersweet. Um, so that, that would probably be my second piece of advice. And then third piece of advice, read, uh, there is so much information out there. Like I said, I was not a personal finance expert when I started all this. I mean, you know, who who knows if I even am now, (laughs) but yeah, I I certainly would not have come anywhere close if I I didn't spend just uh, some time every day reading the information that's out there on the internet. Absolutely. I think that's the one thing that our generation has, that previous generations did not. And it's the level of access with the internet and just finding like-minded people and mentors that can, you know, navigate this space with you. We really have an unprecedented level of accessibility. And I think that we owe it to ourselves and to the people around us to become resources. Um, There was a a recent piece by, I want to say NBC Latino that really, really sparked my attention because they were talking about that the the main 
thing that I think is holding a lot of people back from kind of pursuing that next level situation with their personal finance, whether it's starting to invest, starting to just understand more about credit and budgeting and all that stuff, is that there's a lack of mentors in our community because it's really hard to, you know, do something new if you really don't have anybody to talk to that's actually done it. So I think we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our community to educate ourselves so that then we can become those mentors to the people around us. Because then it's not weird, you know, to talk about money. Then it's not something inaccessible or something for them, but not us. You know, that's a, um, that, that is a hard point, uh, to, to think about, at least for me, because, um, in, in, in just to speak to my personal experience here, um, there was never, you know, and all the time I was at Harvard and in these recruiting for these jobs on wall street, there was never a time where, uh, I was reached out to by, uh, someone Latino who was in these organizations to say, Hey, how are you doing with recruiting? Do you need someone to look at your resume? Do you need someone to run through practice interviews with? And, you know, maybe that was uh, some part of my fault for not being proactive enough, but uh, it, there certainly wasn't the infrastructure there that uh, I have seen within some other communities. I live in Los Angeles, the Jewish community here, extremely tight knit. They mm-hmm. are built off of each other's success so, so well, and they're so supportive. And, and I, and I see it with my, with my friends who are here in the community. Um, the Nigerian community in this country has been a phenomenal success case for how an immigrant community can, uh, move to another country and, uh, be very, very successful in business and mm-hmm. medicine across all different industries. And it's phenomenal. I think the way that uh, in, in many ways that is accomplished is through this feeling of connectiveness and uh, support. And, yes. um, you know, to tell you a personal story, um, there was uh, someone a while back um, who uh, every I, I run into every now and then just, you know, around the community, uh, Hispanic guy. Um, and every time I saw him, he'd say, oh, Charlie, you know, you're, everything you're doing is so great. I'm so proud of what you're doing. You're going to be president someday. And all this is really <laughs> great stuff building me up. Right. And, you know, mm-hmm. anything I can do to help, let me know. Let me know. You're going to be president someday. So anyway, fast forward a couple of years. Uh, I reach out to him and say, hey, I'm thinking about something. Uh, do you mind if I sit down for some advice? Couldn't get him on the phone. Couldn't get him to yeah. sit down. Couldn't get him to actually, you know, move from the running into each other at a party and building me up with some of those platitudes to actually sitting down and putting me in touch with people, giving me advice, telling me what I'm doing wrong, what I'm doing right. And that was a very, it was disheartening and um, almost kind of a slap in the face in in terms of the support that can often be found within our community. And and I'm not sure what it is, but I think we, you know, I I love what you're doing with your podcast and the people that you had on here. Everybody is so supportive. And I think we just need more of that on a broad scale to help build that generational momentum. I appreciate that. And I'm going to take a stab at it because I think that, you know, I think about this a lot, just like, why don't we kind of lift ourselves up as communities the way that, like you said, the Jewish community, you see the Korean community, the Indian Mm -hmm. community. There's so many examples of these quote unquote model minority communities that they don't just pull themselves up. They pull up everybody around them. And I think it probably has something to do with the scarcity mindset that is so prevalent in the Latino community. There's Mm -hmm. so much of this, like, if I give to them, then that's going to take away from me. So I need to hoard for myself. I need to worry about myself. And I think 
that's something that has pitted us against each other versus seeing ourselves as a collective group. And I don't know if it's also a factor that there are so many people that identify as Latino, but we are all so different depending on where you're from that I don't think there is the same level of cohesiveness that there is to like Nigerians because they're all from one place. Right. Right. So I think there's just so many cultural systematic issues that have created this like divide amongst us. And I, I mean, I can't even begin to know where to start addressing it, but I think it has to happen on an individual basis and hopefully you know, things change as, as time goes on. That's, that's all I can hope for. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, you know, I, it's hard to diagnose specifically the cultural history that creates that scarcity mindset. Uh, I, I know that, you know, there are, there's a very diverse set of cultures that fall within the Latino umbrella uh, in this country. I mean, you know, your family is from one part of the world that is very, very different from the part of the world that my family's from, but we speak the same mm-hmm. language and in many ways get grouped into the same bucket. Uh, and right. that's everybody's like, Mexican, according to a lot of yeah. people. It's you know, the funny thing is I, I hear the, the term I hear the most is everybody calls me Spanish. And I said, <laughs> Spanish? Like, I don't even know if I've ever been to Spain, right? Like, wow. <laughs> That's so funny. It reminds me of a TikTok I saw the other day, which I won't even admit that I am on TikTok, but um, (laughs) it was actually like somebody talking about like things that minorities deal with and the girls like introducing herself to someone and she, the person's like, oh, so where are you from? And she's like, oh, I'm from Miami. And then the girl's like, but but where are you really from? Where are you from? And then she's like, oh, but like, if you're asking where my parents are from, they're from Nicaragua. And the girl's having such a hard time pronouncing Nicaragua that she's just like, I, I love Mexico. You know, it's like they, people don't even try to like understand the nuances of culture. And it's just so frustrating sometimes to, to make people understand like Dominicans are not the same as Puerto Ricans. Yes. You know, we, we dance to music that may sound a little bit similar. We speak the same language, but guys, we're not the same. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, that cultural education, we have a long way to go when it comes to that, just for people outside of our community. Absolutely. And, you know, with what, in terms of what you were saying uh, about the outsider syndrome, uh, I think this has a big impact, too. I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but um, I, I live. Uh, so my apartment is in Santa Monica, California. And, as Dave Chappelle says, I live amongst the whites. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so in, in this community here, I'm always the Mexican guy. Right. I go back to Mexico and, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time working in Mexico City. And I worked at a couple law firms there. Um, I'm always the gringo when I go there, right? Oh my gosh, (laughs) you are speaking to my soul right now. I grew up in the suburbs, so I was never, you know, Latina enough for my Latino friends. And I was always, you know, too ethnic for my white friends. It's just, it's, it's a struggle. Yeah, it's too funny. (laughs) So I want to ask you before we go, what is next for Crediverso and where can we find out more about you personally and follow your journey and uh, and Crediverso's journey? Well, listen, you know, we are in uh, what I would call our beta launch right now. So our website is alive and kicking at Crediverso.com. You can find us on socials, uh, Instagram, we're at Crediverso, Facebook.com slash Crediverso. I think one thing I wanted to throw out there uh, is my LinkedIn is LinkedIn.com slash CP Hernandez. 
And, um, you know, we were talking about this mentorship thing. I don't know if I'm somebody anybody would ever want to listen to in terms of a mentor, but I am putting myself out there. Always feel free to reach out, contact me. Um, I think uh, if, if we do have time, um, I know you and I talked about maybe doing a quick look inside your wallet uh, to yes. see what kind of uh, what kind of credit cards you're working with. And uh, maybe if I can um, provide any insight on uh, on what's good, what's bad, what's maybe Please you know, really, do, really good. I'm trying to figure out like why I have these credit cards. And I think it's just because I saw them on Google or somebody was like, hey, you should get this for the points. But I don't really know if it's worth like what I have is actually working for me. So go ahead. It, it happens. Okay. So if you were to open up your wallet right now, what are some of the credit cards you think you find in there? And what do you use Okay. So I have, I'm super big into travel. So I have a bunch of travel credit cards. So I have the Hilton Honors American Express. And the reason I got that is because there's no annual fee and you get an automatic silver level membership with Hilton. So I've tried to just maintain my loyalty with them to get points. Um, and then I have the Chase Sapphire Reserve card, which is like $450 a year. And I don't understand why I'm paying that much money for it because I really just don't know how to maximize the benefits and, and all the perks that come with that. Um, another big one is my JetBlue Barclays MasterCard. And I fly a lot uh, back and forth between the Caribbean and Florida. And JetBlue is one of the big airlines out of Tampa. Mm -hmm. So that's why I got that. And then I have the um, United Explorer uh, through Chase, because I do fly a lot United, especially going back and forth to the Northeast to, to visit my family. Well, let, let me for starters say bravo. You are on a much better, stronger uh, uh, level of personal finance than I think the average person. So you are uh, <laughs> right out the gates. You you have a grade A score. So, you know, you mentioned that the, the annual fees, I think anytime you're dealing with more than one or two credit cards, the number one thing you want to think about is your annual fees. So the, uh, let, let's start with the Chase Sapphire Reserve. Um, so they actually upped that annual fee to 550 recently. So it's even oh more expensive God. now, um, right? And the thing to think about with that, it's a great card. It's a great card for frequent travelers. Uh, you have access to tons of airport lounges worldwide. You get a credit to your uh, global entry application fee. Um, and then you get things like DoorDash, uh, DashPass subscriptions and uh, complimentary lift things. So there are some really good things to come with that card. But the question is, we're in, you know, we're in lockdown right now. I, I don't know if yeah. I haven't left my house that much recently. So the uh, the question is, are you really going to be using a travel card during COVID? So yeah. what to do about this card that's now charging you a high fee? And what I recommend is get on the phone and call up Chase. And if you tell them, hey, you know, this is the situation, I promise you, you're not going to be the first person who's made this call. Um, I'm thinking about canceling this card. I'm thinking about going to another competitor they will almost certainly give you a retention bonus. And, you know, maybe that's a hundred dollars, maybe it's $50, but it's something, right? So that helps. Um, the other thing to consider is whether you want to downgrade. So uh, I think you said you have the Chase Sapphire Reserve, which is the one with the high annual fee. There's also a Chase Sapphire Preferred. Now that card has an annual fee of $95. And uh, what you want to think about in terms of downgrading is that um, the, the benefit is that it's rather than by downgrading, rather than canceling your card, you don't have a negative impact of canceling your card on your credit score. So this is a, and you know, I probably should take a second to talk about what happens when you cancel a credit card. So um, part of how your credit score is calculated is uh, the length of your credit history. Uh, I think that's where 15% of your credit score. Um, so the question there is how long have you been borrowing money? Uh, if Whether you got your first credit card last month or whether you had it 10 years, uh, for, whether you've had it for 10 years. 
Uh, another impact on your credit score is called your debt to credit uh, ratio, or sorry, your, your credit limit ratio. Um, and so what that refers to is if you have across all your credit cards, $10,000 worth of credit limit, and you're using nine, $9,999, that's really bad. You don't want to be using that much. Uh, but if you're using you know, 10 bucks of that credit limit at any time in terms of your balance, then that's really good. And it can be a really good thing for your credit score. So back to what happens when you cancel a credit card. Um, if you cancel a credit card that you had for a long, long time and some of your other credit cards you haven't had for as long, your average uh, credit length goes down, right? So that will impact your credit score there. Um, so you want to try to avoid canceling the credit cards that you've had for the longest amount of time. If you um, uh, cancel a credit card that makes up a big portion of your total credit limit and you still have the same amount of balance outstanding on your other cards, all of a sudden, if you have $2,000 on a $10,000 credit limit and that goes to $2,000 on a 5,000 credit limit, you just went from 20% to a 40% and that can impact your credit score as well. So that's what you want to think about whether you're going to cancel. The other option instead of canceling is you just downgrade, like I said, the Chase Sapphire Preserve. And the only uh, downside to that is that you're not going to get the advantage of the welcome bonuses on that Chase Sapphire Preferred card. Whereas if you were to apply for it sometime, sometime down the line, you might. So that's the thing right, I'd say because there. there's like this two-year waiting period or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it varies card by card, but um, in order to take advantage of a Chase card, I think it's uh, two years from when you apply for your last Chase card to be able to get another sign-up bonus on a different Chase card. Okay. Um, so that's one of those cards. The um, I think, did you mention that you had uh, the Chase Amazon Rewards card? I have the the Chase um, United Explorer. Chase United Explorer. Which is $95 a year, but I feel like I get I really do use all the perks because you do get um, priority boarding and you get two free, no, one free bag per person, up to two people on the same reservation. So mm -hmm. like in one trip, that basically pays for itself because I think each bag is like $25, $35, something like that. Um, so I think that card has definitely been worth it. Um, the question is going to be now with all this COVID stuff happening, especially with the airlines, like how much availability is there going to be of flights for me to actually maximize the, uh, you know, the cost of the annual fee? Exactly. And the good thing, I think, in terms of the position that you're in is that both of the frequent traveler cards that you have, the Barclays JetBlue MasterCard and the Chase United Explorer card, are what I would call um, not super loyalty cards. So mm -hmm. they put you in the position where, hey, you fly United every now and then, you fly JetBlue every now and then. Great. Both of those cards, you know, they're, they're not super expensive. Uh, the, the JetBlue MasterCard has no annual fee at all. The Chase United is $95, but they waived that during the first year. Uh, so it, it's not like you are locking yourself into something very, very major like you would with the upgraded version of some of those cards. So you're in a pretty good spot there. Um, the, uh, the other, I think you mentioned also the uh, Suncoast Rewards Platinum card. Uh, so yeah, I do one. have that one. And I got that, honestly, just because when I uh, bought a new car, I financed it through the credit union and they said, Hey, your credit score is great. Would you like a $15,000 credit limit card? I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm never going to use it. But, um, it actually ended up coming in handy when I had to in, uh, deal with some unexpected expenses related to a house sale. So uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I'm glad you have this card because this is a, this is an example of a credit union card. 
And credit union cards are very different from some of the other bank cards, and there are some really good reasons about them, really good things about them, and some not so good things about them. In your case, this is a pretty good one because you don't have to pay an annual fee on it. You don't have to pay any fees on, the, on balance transfers. The one thing to be careful about on this one is that you have a foreign transaction fee of 1.4%. So you should never use this one when you're traveling. You should always use your Amex Hilton Honors, which has no transaction fee. And because it's a Hilton card, anything that you spend on a Hilton resort, you're going to get points back for it. Um, awesome. So in terms of why this is a, uh, like what's good about a credit union? Um, okay, well, the first question, at least, you know, I mentioned to you, I did, was not an expert in personal finance before this all started. I didn't really know what a credit union was. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it was something my mom always had an account at because she's a, she works in the education system. So they had like a credit union for teachers. But I didn't actually realize that like most people can actually get access to a credit union nowadays. Oh, absolutely. There's some big benefits to them. And, you know, they're basically nonprofit member owned banks and they're pretty much run by volunteers. And so the big difference between a credit union and a bank is that when the banks charge very high interest rates and high fees because they have to share those profits with their shareholders, credit unions actually pass the profits on to the members. So people like your mom in the form of low interest rates and low fees. Uh, and you know, the good thing is they still issue credit cards and all the major networks like Visa and MasterCard. So you can still use your Suncoast Rewards card everywhere Visa is accepted. Um, and then the last benefit is that uh, they also, just like a lot of these other cards, are going to report your payments to the credit bureau. So as long as you're paying your bills on time, they will help you build your credit score. The disadvantage, and you know, you mentioned that uh, you were offered this card when you were getting uh, buying your car. Um, so you should watch out for something called cross-collateralization. And this is another one of those fancy terms that a lot of people can just skip over in the terms and conditions, but it can have a big, big impact. So for example, say, and this might be your case, if you have an auto loan with uh, with this credit union, with Suncoast, for example, and then you get a credit card from there too, if you don't make your credit card payments, they can repossess your car because those oh, loans God. are cross-collateralized. Wow. I did not know that. <laughs> yes. It's, so it's, uh, and you know, that I, I'm speaking generally in terms of what is a very common uh, uh, condition on credit cards with uh, from credit unions. So that may not be your specific case, but it is always something to watch out for cross collateralization. Wow, that's really good to know. So I know there are some questions that I get frequently about credit unions versus banks. And I think the number one question is, is my money protected by the FDIC when I have it in a credit union? And so could you answer that for us? Okay, so that's a very good question. It's going to be, uh, I mean, the FDIC provides, uh, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation provides broad coverage across a lot of different banks. The um, specifics with regard to whether it applies to Suncoast, my uh, generic answer would be likely yes. Uh, but to get you a more specific answer without uh, potential any, any problems, what we probably want to do is refer to one of the articles on our website. I think we have one that's coming out in the next week or two on this. So I'd probably point our listenership there. Uh, okay. But you know, that said, there are still a lot of pros uh, to credit unions. Um, you're going to get lower annual fees, lower late fees, lower foreign transaction fees, uh, the APR, um, I'm not sure what you're paying on, on the Suncoast card, but a typical average for a credit union is somewhere around 11.7%, whereas uh, average APR for non-credit union credit cards are generally in the mid-teens. So there's a pretty big oh, wow. spread there. Yeah, and I have found that credit unions are more willing to help people with less than perfect credit. So I think it's a good place to also check um, if you're trying to rebuild your credit, they do have 
some programs I've experienced with several credit unions where they help you like either get a secured card where you're actually putting basically like a deposit and then you you buy against that deposit and they have. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Just like a lot more flexible loan terms than some banks do. No, you're absolutely right. And uh, secured cards are a great way to rebuild your credit. If you, I mean, I say rebuilds, you may not have any credit history at all if you just came here from another country. So right. uh, secured cards might be the only option you have available to you. We have a lot of, listen, the only reason I know all this stuff is because we have personal finance writers who write about on our website. That's where I get all my information. <laughs> yeah. um, but there are, there are a lot of secured cards out there. Uh, what you want to watch out for is that there are no annual fee secured cards. There are also secured cards with annual fees as high as $100. So oh. uh, the, you know, they pretty much all report to the three major credit bureaus, uh, which is what you want. You want to get one of these credit cards, uh, sorry, one of these secured cards. You don't want to pay an annual fee and you want all your um, bills to get reported to the uh, credit bureaus so that you can start to rebuild credit and get out of the realm of secured cards and into the realm of credit cards. But definitely awesome. avoid the annual fee if you can. And the, um, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the APR because uh, in turn, your Amex Everyday card, that is a fantastic balance transfer card option. So I don't know if you use that for a balance transfer um, or, um, you know, I wasn't even aware what a balance transfer was not that long ago. But uh, the way I try to think about it is that a balance transfer lets you move your debt from one credit card to another. If, for example, you're paying a, uh, you have a lot of outstanding balance on one credit card, you're paying a really high interest rate on it, you can actually get a balance transfer card that lets you move all of that debt into a 0% interest uh, uh, credit card. So Amex yes. Everyday, for example, you, have, you can do 0% interest for up to 15 months, I think. Yeah, I've actually done balance transfers in the past when I've been on my debt-free journey. And so I think I found a card um, very randomly, the Forever 21 Synchrony Visa. And they actually ended up offering, I think it was close to like two years of 0% interest. And there was no balance transfer fee. So I took advantage of that and transferred like $10,000 of credit card debt, which is what I was trying to get rid of. I had like a bunch of expenses from moving to New Jersey, um, from New Jersey to Florida. Mm -hmm. And my whole relocation package from work just did not cover all those bases. So it's been great because, you know, I've been able to eliminate that debt without incurring any interest. There was no fee for the transfer, which is not very common. There are usually maybe between like 1% and 5% balance transfer fees. So you absolutely have to make sure that that cost that you're paying to transfer the balance justifies the amount of savings that you're supposed to get from not being charged interest. So I think, you know, that's obviously another option that you you can definitely look into if you're looking to consolidate your debt and pay it down and not pay 25% interest rates. <laughs> you are so right. Yeah. Definitely watch out for that balance transfer fee. The um, and, and one cool thing I learned about balance transfer cards recently is that you can actually, in many cases, a lot of these cards will let you move a personal loan balance or even an auto loan balance onto a balance transfer card. So if you're paying a high interest rate on your auto loan 
hey, you might be able to get that into a 0% interest rate spot. Wow, I did not know that. That's great information. Yeah, it's cool. It's, and this is, I think, the, the fun thing about personal finance is that, you know, not everybody is in a position where they can just go out and, like, ask for a raise or get a second job that's, uh, to, to make more money. So you can, with knowing about personal finance, take a look at the exact same financial situation, making the same amount of money, same amount of people in the house making money, and have a lot more spending money just by doing things like this. You know, get rid of some of those interest payments, not paying annual fees, uh, call on your card and asking for a, um, uh, a retention bonus, things like that. So it, it lets you take the same amount of money and do more with it. Yes. It, you have to know your numbers and it's all about just not being afraid of asking questions or asking for that discount or, you know, calling up your cable company and telling them, look, you're charging me too much money. I'm going to cut off my service. That always yeah. works because especially now, with, like there's Got so much competition for all these surfaces, like people are willing to, to budge. So take advantage. And, you know, I, this might not be the most morally th- like appropriate thing for me to say, but right now, like these companies need your money. So like they've been taking it forever. If they're offering like waivers or grace periods, take advantage of them because this is like a once in a lifetime situation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, uh, I mean, the, the, the funny thing is like, whenever you're talking about personal finance, it's boring, right? I get it. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to listen about it. Nobody wants to read about it. So uh, I think you, you and I are probably in the minority of yeah, you know, for sure. people who, who ever find this stuff really interesting. But yeah, on the whole, you know, unless you can uh, like work a joke into it somehow, then it's, uh, it, it often can get pretty boring pretty quickly. But mm-hmm. uh, it, does, it does pay off. And that's yeah. the fun part. Well, Carlos, this has been an amazing conversation. I am just so excited about everything you're doing. And I just want to say thank you on behalf of my listeners and just on behalf of the Latino community. Like we need more people like you that are just bringing access, bringing information and are using their skills to elevate us as a community. Because like we were talking about before, this is something that we as a community of Latinos need to do in order to advance ourselves as a people. So I just really want to thank you for everything you're doing. I wish you and Credit Diverso and all of your staff the best. And I just can't wait to see what comes next for you. Oh, well, you know, it's been an absolute honor being on this podcast with you. And I, I think we, the world needs more platforms like yours and more people like you. And it's uh, it's been very fun to not only get a chance to speak with you, but to be the first male guest on the yes! show. I, think, you know, <laughs> I, I am now surrounded by a long list of strong, smart, independent women. I think I, I, think I can die happy now. It's, it's, uh... That's it. I mean, you know, that's it. YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, man. Great. Thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you very much. Take care. Take care. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I am just so proud to be a member of a community that is pumping out freaking legends in the making like Carlos. Like, you know, I don't think we as a people, as Latinos, like we give ourselves credit for like our hustle is unmatchable. Like, this dude got three degrees from Harvard and he said, you know what? That's not enough. I'm going to go and start a company because, you know, YOLO, why not? What else do I have to do? And so I think that just speaks to the hustle that is innate to Latinos. Like we work harder than anybody else. And as a result, we do tend to be more successful. Um, you know, not for nothing, but we got, we got a lot of, 
you know, we have a lot of things to be proud of as a community. And so I'm just super excited to see how Crediverso continues to influence and shape the personal finance education space. I love that they create their content in English and Spanish so that you can share all this information that is so critical to, you know, moving ahead in this country and just providing access in multiple languages. It's amazing. And of course, all their incredible resources are free. So definitely support. Before I wrap this up, I just want to send my love and prayers to everyone who is fighting on behalf of the injustice that we continue to see in this country. I am praying that this is the start of real change in America. I hope that this is only the beginning of the many reforms that we need to see when it comes to ending police brutality in this country. And I want to send love to all of our brothers and sisters across this country. And I want to encourage everyone who shares in the outrage to donate to the Minnesota Freedom Fund to cover bail costs for protesters that are arrested for demanding justice. I want to ask that you stay safe, stay vocal, stay vigilant, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.